From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, aberrant stability. And so I can tell to the patient what we can see six months after surgery. First this. As seen from here reaches ophthalmologists in 98 countries, transfers more than half a terabit of podcasts every month, but the potential audience is much larger. Please tell your colleagues about this free resource, Flattening the Ophthalmic World. And while you're at it, let your residents and fellows know about Open Ophthalmology, a free basic science video podcast, already a force in ophthalmic education with 1,800 viewers watching 6,000 video lectures every month. Information wants to be free. Help me give it away. The imperfections of the eye exhibit a symmetry more beautiful than any perfection. The spherical aberration of the peripheral crystalline lens lies beneath the peripheral flattening of the prolate cornea, one error compensating for the other. Other compensatory optical aberrations exist between the cornea and the lens. So says my guest today, Marco Lombardo. These aberrations are generally of academic interest until we begin to improve the cornea with photoablative surgery. But what of the aberrations we uncover and those we induce? Do these stabilize or do the aberrations themselves change over time? Dr. Lombardo recently published a report on this and discusses its findings with us today. We're going to be talking about wavefront and PRK. How stable are wavefront aberrations over the lifetime of, of a patient, a, a, a patient who has not had surgery? Um, and, and which aberrations tend to change over time? We know by the literature that um, aberrations increase uh, almost linearly with aging. In general, we know that coma and spherical aberration increase uh, both in the cornea and in crystalline lens. This is due because uh, the cornea during aging become, becomes uh, more uh, oblate and also the anterior and posterior surfaces of the um, lens tend uh, to change uh, curvatures and also the thickness of the lens uh, increase with aging. So there is an overall increase in, in the spherical aberration during aging. So it's not just that these aberrations are increasing over time as a result of opacification of, of, of the lens. There are shape changes that are going on with the cornea, as you mentioned. Yes. The yes. Uh, cornea is getting more prolate? Yeah, in general, opacification of the distant lens uh, does not increase aberration, but uh, increase scatter and, dis- and dispersion of light. Thus, the, the net result is also to decrease the optical quality of the eye. Sure. Now, does PRK affect the aberrations fairly equally? Um, but we see that after PRK, uh, we have an increase in the third and fourth orders uh, high order aberration that are in general coma and spherical aberration. 
and we know that uh, in young patients, uh, coma is in general the dominant aorta aberration of the first surface of the cornea. But after surgery, um, we have a twofold increase in the spherical aberrations. So the relative contribution of the spherical aberration to the overall high order aberration structure of, of the cornea increase after surgery. So it's not that the coma is moving from uh, being the, the most dominant sort of aberration to a less dominant sort because the, the coma is getting better result of PRK. It's that the spherical aberration is taking a, a more prominent role um, after PRK uh, yeah. than, than prior to PRK with respect to coma. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there are there are increase in both coma and, and spherical aberration, but the increase in spherical aberration is higher than coma after surgery. What question did your study seek to answer? My main interest was to understand whether the optical quality of the cornea after PRK could be considered stable over a long time after surgery. Let me get you to describe the particulars of uh a wavefront correcting PRK procedure? Yeah, um, I, I performed um, standard PRK using a 6 millimeter optical zone in all the eyes. I included in the study uh, approximately 40 patients and then um, uh, allocated all the patients in three groups according to the spherical equivalent refraction and the amount of astigmatism. The astigmatism was treated using the cross-cylinder technique. And uh, after the standard PLK procedure, I always perform the smoothing technique that is um, a sort of PTK-style treatment. So I mask the cornea with 0.25% sodium rate and then set the ablation depth at 10 microns. Uh, this procedure uh, allowed me to um, achieve uh, a, a less increase in higher-order aberration than standard PRK. Just to be clear here, the, the procedures performed were, in essence, a large ablation zone PRK and, and were not, from the get-go, designed to minimize the wavefront aberrations and what we're, we're looking at in the context of, of the study is what goes on after standard PRK uh, over the, 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 the course of several years with respect to uh, how, how wavefront aberrations change. Yeah. What were your main outcome measures for this study? Yeah, um, I observed a very minimal refractive regression over uh, these eight years follow-up because in uh, patients treated with simple myopia, I observed less than minus 0.50 diopters of refractive reflection. Uh, in the astigmatism uh, uh, patients, this was uh, less than 0.20 diopters. But the main information was that uh, the increase in coma, spherical aberration, was linearly related to the amount of spherical equivalent refraction treated. How were aberrations measured for this study? And, and only the aberrations produced by the, 
the anterior cornea were what you you measured uh, in in the context of the study. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I measured corneal aberration using a placido disc topographer. Then uh, aberrations uh, were calculated from the elevation data of the topographer with respect to the line of sight, not with respect to the corneal apex. Then we imported uh, this aberration data in a custom software and calculated the root mean square um, error, the MPF and the PSF to um, uh, simulate uh, the optical quality of the cornea over two simulated pupil diameters that are 3.5 and 6 millimeter diameters. This is especially important when talking about uh, aberration because uh, we know that the relative contribution of the high order aberration change with respect to the pupil diameter. What were your results? What were your findings? The, one of the main important uh, findings was to note that the spherical aberration increased uh, also over a 3.5 millimeter pupil diameter. That is a pupil smaller than the optical zone used in all the patients. When um, I saw the um, aberration data over the 6 millimeter pupil, I saw the coma and spherical aberration and total high order aberrations increased in all the groups, including uh, low myopia, high myopia, and astigmatism. Why does PRK affect coma and higher order aberrations? Is it because of the, uh, the imperfect treatments in the sense that the treatments uh, um, them, themselves are, are, are producing wavefront, or is it because of variability in the response of the, of the tissue in, in the sense that uh, little tiny regions of the cornea might ablate a little bit faster or a little bit slower for any given laser fluence? Oh, well, um, all these factors can contribute uh, to the increase in coma and uh, other uh, high-order aberration of the PRK because uh, uh, we know that the standard ablation algorithm assumes the cornea as a symmetric surface, so um, they don't take into account the local asymmetries along meridians of the first surface of the cornea. In treating the cornea as a symmetric surface can uh, therefore in- increase, uh, induce an increase in asymmetries and then uh, in asymmetric high-order aberrations like coma. Uh, after that, the different local biomechanical response of the cornea can further contribute to an increase of uh, asymmetric high-order aberration. But uh, when I saw that also spherical aberration increased over the small pupil diameter, I can consider this effect due to the ablation design itself and to the ablation parameters as well. For example, considering a loss of ablation efficiency at the periphery of the optical zone. Your data show a change in the 
aberrations within the first year after PRK surgery, but following that that first year for the uh, subsequent seven years uh, that that your study examined, the aberrations seem to stay fairly constant. Does that sound right? Yeah. Uh, I see that uh, after six months, uh, after surgery, um, the aberration fracture of the first surface of the cornea is incredibly stable uh, over the the time, uh, up to the eight years uh, last examination. So this is very important uh, because uh, if um, you treat uh, the patient according to the golden standard, uh, you can tell the patient that the treatment is very safe. And also that the, op- the optical quality uh, doesn't change uh, over the time. Yeah, I mean, certainly that, that, that's, a, that's a big, uh, mm-hmm. big take, take-home message from this, from this yeah. study. In this paper, you describe the idea of the, the coupling of the intraocular optics and the corneal optics in the sense that the aberrations produced by by one negate to some extent the aberrations produced by the by the other can i get you to describe a little bit more the, this idea of coupling and to what extent prk surgery uh, or keratoablative surgery generally decouples the corneal optics from the intraocular optics oh yeah um yes because we know that uh, in the young normal eye, the total amount of the ocular wavefront aberration is uh, almost always less than uh, in the anterior cornea or the lens uh, alone. This means that uh, there is a compensatory processing between the cornea and the lens. Evidence of this finding, for example, are the astigmatism, the horizontal coma, and spherical aberration. So the net result could be an improved image optical quality of the eye. After PRK, uh, we change the aberration, the aberration structure of the anterior cornea. So there is a decoupling of cornea and lens aberration because corneal spherical aberration increase. And um, in some walls, uh, it is similar to that uh, we uh, see uh, during aging, that is uh, happens uh, during aging because uh, the cornea adds spherical aberration to the lens. But uh, I didn't see a clinical uh, evidence of this uh, during uh, the examination uh, in the ophthalmic room because the, the patient did not complain any glare, halos, or disturbance in the, in the visual performance. I can think that there are also um, some type of uh, perceptual uh, change uh, in the way we see the external world. Yeah, and um, the, 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 the change that the patient m- might, might notice might not be something um, like a drop in the acuity, but it, it might be something like lower contrast sensitivity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this could be happen. Marco, have, having learned what you've learned from the study, uh, uh, have you made any changes to your to your own clinical practice? Do you treat patients uh, any any differently, or or can you counsel them? Um, differently, for example, as you as you mentioned, that, that that we can say we can all say now with greater confidence 
that um, that any uh, that, that that once we get past the six to twelve month period, things really do seem stable. Yeah, uh, in general, no. I I didn't change my practice uh, uh, because I'm very happy uh, with this type of procedures. So I continue to perform PRK plus smoothing uh, as uh, my favorite uh, technique. But uh, with this knowledge, uh, I can tell to my patients. Uh, not only uh, what he or she has to expect uh, for the first months uh, after surgery, but I can tell uh, to the patient what happens even uh, for a long time uh, after surgery. And so I can tell to the patient what we can see uh, six months after surgery will be uh, that we will have uh, over uh, the last time uh, of the patient himself. So um, for me, I believe that uh, patients uh, are uh, very happy to know uh, that uh, they will be treated by a skilled surgeon that also spends uh, most of his time to improve the outcome of surgery, and so they are uh, more confident with the surgery itself. Now, because now uh, most of the patients, uh, almost in Europe, are, uh, have a lot of knowledge about uh, refractive surgery, so they uh, come to the clinical room with many questions. It yeah. is very important to address uh, all the questions by the patient. Here, here too, Marco. <laughs> uh, thank you very, very much. Molto grazie. Ah, you are very, very welcome, Josh. Very nice to hear from you. Marco Lombardo is ophthalmologist and eye surgeon and PhD in biomedical and computer engineering and researcher at the IRCCS Fondazione GB Bietti in Rome, Italy. His paper, Long-Term Corneal Wavefront Aberration Variations After Photorefractive Keratectomy, for myopia and myopic astigmatism appears in the September 2011 issue of the Journal of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Ask questions of Dr. Lombardo or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.